testing. Hello. Oh, hello. Hello. Can you hear me? What? Can you hear me? I am. This is. We're doing ASMR. We're not doing ASMR. <laughs> This controversy, aren't you? Bill? No, I'm not. We, you don't have to show it. I have no idea what Bill's talking about. Hello, and welcome to Nerds for Normal People, the podcast that brings nerd culture to a normal world. I am your master of the geekly arts, Daniel Dunstan, and with me, I have three experts in the field of nerdhood. Uh, David Hood. Well, well, I'm glad to be back. I wasn't ready to be first. <laughs> You're never ready to be first, David. <laughs> <laughs> Fair and Bill Sheehy. I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Thanks for having me on again. <laughs> you're you're welcome. And of course, Beth Dunstan. And I am a simple woman in the universe just trying to sell her turnips for a reasonable price <laughs> on <Animal> Crossing. <laughs> Everyone knows the only satisfying produce to sell is cabbages. <laughs> so we're going to be talking for the next two and a half hours about Animal Crossing. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly what I signed up for. So it's going to be a lot like my Animal Crossing experience. Play it for two days. And then play it sparingly for two and a half months. <laughs> but what about its partner that came out at the same time as it that everyone likes to put them together with? Doom Eternal? Doom Eternal. <laughs> That's true. I haven't played it yet. I've been playing a lot of Assassin's Creed and um, let's see what else. And some which, Star Wars games. Okay, it or not. Which, which Assassin's Creed? Um, let's see. Syndicate. And I just bought the Ezio collection today because it was like ten dollars on Xbox. So I was so like, you you you've not been playing the best Assassin's Creed game, which is for Black Flag. No, I have not. I <laughs> have not. Enough, I but it, I might, right like, before I, Black Flag. I might. Well, I, I'm gonna wait. Have, well, what was that, David? I stopped right before Black Flag. I played oh, Black all Flag to Black Flag. <laughs> Black Flag is the best because you can pretend it's just a fun pirate game mm-hmm. until you have to do a story mission. That's right. You can play the the Pirates of the Caribbean. You can pretend to be Captain Jack Sparrow. Like that's that's how I play. Like every time yep. I'm at the wheel, I'm just like I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. Doesn't matter. And then why is all the rum gone? It's always gone. Don't know what. Well, there's actually a, a DLC island that if you get like the Game of the Year edition or whatever it has, uh, and like you. You can get it basically from the first part of the map that opens up, mm-hmm. and if you complete it, you can get, like, Captain Morgan's outfit. And, like, as soon as I do that, I'm just like, it's hilarious to then go through all the cutscenes, and they're like, I see you wear the robes of an assassin. I'm like, nope, not even close. <laughs> <laughs> I wear Well, are you saying Captain Morgan It wasn't an assassin? I mean, I guess it depends... He did probably kill a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was an assassin of the waters. <laughs> what are what are pirates but assassins of the seas? You know, when I watched the newest trailer for Assassin's Creed with uh, the the Vikings, there was Valhalla. a there was a Valhalla. Valhalla. Like there was a moment in the trailer where I thought, "Oh wow, 
they're gonna let the woman be the hero because like the, the <laughs> dude turns around and looks at her no, and, like, yeah. no. and then i was like uh no okay yeah sure <laughs> this, this is ubisoft that doesn't happen <laughs> But back to the Captain Morgan outfit. <laughs> no, I You know what he specialized in? Assassinating the liver. <laughs> That's where his most prolonged success. I was. feel like we went from like talking about pirates to like we were having a it went from pirates to So guys, what about sexism? Am I right? Well, we have introduced Beth. <laughs> Yeah, we did introduce Okay, Beth. I was about to say, we just had a conversation about sexism and not having a woman. <laughs> and then we didn't introduce Beth. No, because mentioning Animal Crossing is what got us on That's maybe true. our fastest tangent in history. <laughs> Thanks, Beth. This, no, Valhalla this looks is what, cool. This, Valhalla does look interesting. It does. But I, I will wait till it comes out to see how Ubisoft wrecks it. My guess, microtransactions. <laughs> see, this is what happens when everyone involved in your podcast can't leave their home for like a month. We just we're just excited to hear each other's voices more yeah. than anything. So we want to yeah, talk about everything. <laughs> exactly. Um we're gonna focus primarily on two major topics though like they both kind of have a lot of subtopics beneath them but we're gonna start with star wars built heard of it away i've heard of it <laughs> no. heard of it so a bunch of stuff has happened with star wars we're gonna probably kick off with the big thing mm -hmm. um that has come out uh which is or, or the probably the biggest thing that's come out which is the fact uh Basically, Clone Wars has ended. Mm -hmm. I know, because we know from beforehand that, like, David's still watching it. I kind of don't necessarily want to spoil it. No, and I, I think we can have a great conversation uh, yeah, about I it. I think Clone Wars has been out long enough that spoilers are my fault. Well, but the, the final episode has only been out a week. And I think we can talk about it oh, without absolutely. giving away absolutely. If you anything. want, I can take off my headset let you guys talk about it. <laughs> no. Back in. Where, where are you exactly on it, David? What what episode are you on? Are you like, have you are you just now starting the season or are you like into the I, Siege of Mandalore? I'm like midway, midway through season one where uh, Count Dooku got captured by pirates and <laughs> Obi-Wan like are going to pick Damn him up. Damn you, Kenway. Jesus. Oh, I love that arc. You're going to love it. That's a lot of fun. I've loved it so far. Yeah. Well, you you'll get there. I promise. I, I can't wait till the final season where Darth Maul fights Ahsoka Tona, and I'm like, yeah, that's gonna be fun. It well, is. If, yeah, it is. If you already know who the villain is, David, and you also already know one of the major plot points because it's in Revenge of the Sith, which is Order sixty six. And I'm on the internet, so I get spoiled about shit already. Can I? That's, can that's I, fair. Can I say a my hot take on the final four episodes of? of season seven yes sure. it's my favorite prequel period like oh yeah it's, it's what it's able to do like especially if you've watched all seven seasons and you've watched the big arcs and you've especially for me like i started watching that when i was like 16 or 17 and like to go from there and see where ahsoka has come and see her now and just the way that it's able to like intervene stuff from Revenge of the Sith. I watched Revenge of the Sith after watching this the the end of this the seer of the series. And it really like deepened my love for that movie because like they they really play really really well off each other and it's mm -hmm. just it's it's everything that you could want in a prequel. And on and 
I love the prequels. I, 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 I'm prefacing, I'm prefacing saying this because I love the prequels. But the first episode with uh, in of the Siege of Mandalore, where there's there's action scenes that felt, you know, what like traditional Star Wars. It was fun. It mm-hmm. was Anakin having the high ground, stuff like that. It was just wonderful, and it mm-hmm. just continued to be to not just be this fun adventure, but it continued to be this really meaningful arc for the characters that we have grown with over um, these seven seasons. And it really, I think it deepens the lore in a way that even I couldn't have anticipated when this whole show started a decade ago. This latest season, it's, uh, it has had its ups and downs. I agree. Bad Batch was really good, but then like the Ahsoka arc just by herself was kind of... Yeah, and I I think I was sort of... I feel like the Siege of Mandalore might have been the only, this is going to sound weird, like, the only, like, new one that had been written. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it felt like it's like, okay, well, we've taken our time, like, this is the real one that counts. And, because, like, I thought the Bad Batch was fine. I think it depends on how much you care about the Bad Batch as characters. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm coming into this, I have not seen all of Clone Wars. I don't have the same level of investment. I know Beth has. Yes. Um, but one thing I loved about the the very last episode mm-hmm. is it does something really well, which is relatively low stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, the big challenge of that episode isn't the fate of the universe. Mm-hmm. It's the fate of a handful of characters who you know and care about. Right. I think I know what we're talking about. Anakin gets the master rank. No, he <laughs> he gets the master sword. They pull a left. They pull out a left. David, field. stop spoiling it for yourself. <laughs> he, he finally gets it. I know it. Mm-hmm. And he and he doesn't turn to the dark side this time. That's right. I wish that'd be great. But I think you're right, Daniel. I I just it felt significant, but it like like you said, it didn't have mm-hmm. these universe at stake yeah you know stakes to it it's the beth i know you're you were a huge fan of it i'll let you uh, weigh in on this david you've probably already seen in what you've seen of the show that one of the themes is how the jedi and all the other people in the galaxy kind of view the clones Mm -hmm. um like are are they just tools because i think both the jedi and the sith throughout the show kind of look at the clones as more tools in their arsenal than, than they do actual people. And a, a lot of the, uh, a lot of Ahsoka's journey has been her developing that empathy with, with the clones. And mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that made this final episode so powerful for me. There were a couple scenes that actually gave me 1917 vibes. Mm. Um, j- just because it really, showed the human toll of of the war on these soldiers that uh that multiple factions in the war had sort of stopped seeing as human and right. uh i i found that deeply powerful and, and i loved i loved the themes of love and empathy and mercy that especially ahsoka mm-hmm. embodied in these right. final episodes and Maul, I, I have a picture of him up on up in our apartment now 
Maul is my Star Wars villain. That is true. Uh, Ma- Maul is is my favorite Star Wars villain. I love him so much, especially <laughs> in in the series, the Clone Wars and the Rebels. Oh, he's so good. <laughs> I think you're completely right, Beth. And I think you know having those themes and then having the imagery of of that final shot and yeah. like where some of these characters are mm-hmm. just kind of accentuate that and showed like. Another thing that I think they did really, really well, like, I think growing up, like, I think I just had such in my head that, like, the Jedi are always good. Like, they're mm-hmm. the good guys. That's, I want to be a Jedi. Everybody wants to be a Jedi. They can't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think what the this final arc did was show, like, kind of how shitty the Jedi have become. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, Mace Windu says something to Ahsoka where I'm just like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? I <laughs> like, that, you did not have to be that mean. One thing that I think that Lucas started doing in the prequels, but allowed to continue even more throughout the Clone Wars, though it really did start in the in the prequels, is it was really, really bold of him to portray the Jedi as this deeply flawed organization, mm-hmm. um, because Absolutely. they they uh, because the way that they're built up in the original trilogy, there's this sort of legendary, you know, they're always right. And then Mm -hmm. you get to know them and you realize that they're very flawed people. And as they become more involved in the war effort and become more soldiers and more generals, which is another thing that Ahsoka comments on in these final episodes, uh, they become like the well is poisoned, basically. Mm -hmm. And and they become more and more deeply flawed. And and I think it's just because of Samuel L. Jackson's raw charisma that we Mm -hmm. don't see how deeply flawed even in the movie Mace Windu is. And like, you're talking to someone who's literally written fan fiction about Mace (laughs) Windu because growing up, like I thought he was such a cool character. Oh yeah. And I'm like, (laughs) now I'm just kind of like, why did I write that? That guy's a jerk. (laughs) It was a really bold You didn't have to do that. Like, but yeah, I, I Mm. love that. And that's, kind of what I think is is great about this. It takes something that I already love and deepens it in a just in a, a wonderful, wonderful way that I, re- regardless of when we see these characters again, uh, especially Ahsoka, mm-hmm. I'm excited to see her again because oh, yeah. I, she's the, and I think Trey, my co-host on, on my podcast, has said Ahsoka's his favorite character and I completely get that. Because yeah. I just think she's had such a wonderful journey. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, I think people want to see more of her because, for a good reason, she's a great character. And, you know, she has more to add to the galaxy. And we've spent so, so long with her. Like, especially mm-hmm. over Clone Wars and Rebels, we've spent hours with her. Much more time than we've really had to spend with even of the movie characters. Yeah, that's true. And, and so I think that when mm-hmm. you have more time to just sort of uh let a character seep into you in that way they become more and more complex uh more and more appealing to the audience so ahsoka might be the character in star wars that especially for a lot of younger fans she may be the character they know the best out mm-hmm. of all of them yeah. just because we know so much about her and we've been there for all her big moments and 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 here's the thing that really excites me about Ahsoka, about just the possibilities of her. Mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker and Ahsoka in the same universe interacting is probably like, now that like all the sequels are done, 
that's what I want to see. I want to see that kind of relationship. If if there even is a relationship, just the idea of those two meeting, the the son of her master, just how much emotional significance that Luke Skywalker and would have to Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. I just think you you've got to do that. You have to do something with that. It just it, it you have to. Yeah, I'm not sure if like you necessarily have to do that though. I do want them to do that Rebels follow up sequel series. Mm-hmm. I really really want that. <laughs> Um, I will say there is a very nice, uh, there's a symmetry to how Clone Wars ended and how Rebels ended, mm-hmm. especially in those last shots. Right. But there are subtle differences that change the ending of the ending of Clone Wars because naturally where it would always, where it was always going to end, uh, is a little bit hopeless. Mm-hmm. Whereas the end of Rebels is a bit more hopeful. Mm-hmm. And there's just like subtle differences where it's like there are enough similarities between the two. You can see how they echo each other. Uh-huh. But it's the it's the subtle differences that highlight the tone. Dave Filoni loves him some Lord of the Rings and loves him some. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, he does. <laughs> yes. And yes. just like in David, like close your ears for a second. All right. To have her lash shot in Clone Wars be having her having a gray um Yes. yes, to match Gandalf the Grey, yep. and then you have her in the, at the end of Rebels, and have her in the white, and make her Gandalf yes. the white. Oh, m- yeah, mwah. well, yeah. well wonderful. But, al- but also, you have in Clone Wars, she is there waiting. On, like Rex is in the background mm-hmm. waiting to take her away to wherever they go from here. Mm-hmm. And in the end of Rebels, she is the one waiting to help so- take Sabine because to wherever Destiny will take her. She, she yeah. is She's now the mentor figure yeah. dressed in white. That's so cool. Oh uh, my god. And David, you can come back now. So another thing I thought that these final things did well, uh, Bill, was building dread. There, there mm-hmm. were several moments, because you know, as a Star Wars fan, you know what is coming. I, and, and, yes. and as you see like the pieces being set up and you see where Ahsoka is going and who she is surrounded by. You, you mm-hmm. just have this, and, and the things Maul says, you, you just have this pit of dread that grows and grows and grows. And, and, you're, and you're heartbroken for all of these people. And you, and I didn't know how they were going to do it. And that was like, that could have, I, there, there was a world where they could have shown from the animated side what that looked like. Um, but like, I'm glad they didn't do that because Mm -hmm. I I think that it it was Ahsoka's arc. It was Ahsoka's story. So you had to, to show it from her perspective. Yeah. I, yeah, I I think it would have only been hurt if they were like, let's check in on the part of the story you already know. Right. Right. So once again, there is so much to love about this final arc. I think there's a lot to love about season seven. Um, and and I'll I'll say this because I've also watched the two uh, behind the scenes uh, the Disney gallery oh, with the Mandalorian about, dude about the Mandalorian so good and there that one there on George is, Lucas today like oh it, it, I I actually thought that was a lot worse than the other one no but like I here's the thing that like I'm a big Filoni guy anyway but like. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. His thing at the end is phenomenal. Exactly. That's what. That's what it, I'm like. No yeah. one gets George Lucas as no. like that, like Dave Filoni. To have and, that message, where like this is for kids. You want to leave them with a hopeful message. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's like the point I was going to say is like having watched those, man, nobody loves Star Wars the way Dave Filoni no. loves Star Wars. Well, maybe me, but like that's selfishly. That's... Bill, I'm, I'm going to say no on that. Uh, I would almost question whether George Lucas no, loves Star Wars as much the as way Dave, Dave Filoni, Filoni yeah. loves Star Wars. Well, I loved but what it's... he said where, where like he, he, he shows it, that Star Wars is about that that love and empathy returning to the Jedi in those first mm-hmm. six movies, mm-hmm. especially like it's, mm-hmm. it's the journey from the death of Qui-Gon and almost the death of that to Luke saving his father and the return mm-hmm. of that. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it just, you know, I, like I was sort of getting chills as he was talking about how, how powerful that redemption story is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. even, I think you can make a good argument for those sequels. Like that's all yeah. like, the best parts of the sequels are the parts that that use that same like that the message of empathy and hope because that's like yeah. that's literally the end at the at the end of nine say whatever you want about nine I get it I roll my eyes every time raise a Palpatine <laughs> they do the they do the reveal but like the end where she takes the name Skywalker because it's 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 a name that of, of her masters that trained her that in leia that loved her it's her family like that's what it's about so like once again i completely acknowledge the the short uh, shortcomings of (laughs) the rise of skywalker but i think it ended on 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 a hopeful note and i think that's george would like that yeah I'm going to move on. Okay, cool. <laughs> Would you let I, me I, love I, things, please? Oh, um... No, that's, that's, why, I'm moving, that's why I'm Bill, moving Bill, on. Bill, I had a, a sort of, like, related question. Because um, mm-hmm. it, it kind of puzzled me a bit. And, and I, I wanted to ask you whether you thought it would have added anything. Uh, so at the end of Endgame, they did that mm-hmm. whole cool credit sequences where they showed all the different actors. And I remember they did that at the Mm -hmm. end of Return of the King too. They had a little sketch Mm -hmm. beside each actor. And I was a little confused as to why at the end of the saga, they didn't do something similar for the actors that had been throughout the saga there. Like it, it, I I found that a little bit puzzling because I felt that that could have I didn't know why they did it with with one with two franchises that were huge in that way and and not this one. So I I think the short answer is they probably didn't think of it. Yeah. Um, because I because it it it'd be so hard to be like oh they could easily not think of it but like but at the same hell, time their their third act is almost beat for beat end game they could yeah like but like. like Maybe like it, they just thought that like oh maybe this would mesh well with what Star mm-hmm. Wars is. I would have been completely okay with it, but like I, I I think that you know Star Wars has a very specific you know feel to it. Yeah, and then like I, I feel that if they did that, they would just say that they were copying Marvel movies, and yeah. that's not something you wanted. To- even though we just said it was the last yeah, movie. <laughs> even though that you could completely complete with an on your left moment that True, just has none like, of the character weight behind but it. Like, like you can't just you you can't. I would have loved it when Ray was in the final scene and uh and then Calloway would just said on your left. But I don't <laughs> think that you like 
what they did in Endgame has been done before. Like they've no, there's, yeah. There's they Ab- did it. Re- they did in Return of the King. Like yeah. the, for Frodo. Like I mean, like yeah. There's always a rallying cry, and there's always the heroes all come together. That's not new. Like no, but I I yeah, it, it's. But no, I I, thing. Yeah, there is a no. Once they like, I I like that moment in the movie just because like I with the the, once again, Star Wars is about hope. It's a message of hope. It's oh, all the heroes, the uh, there are more of us, Poe. There are more of us. I get that. But like, it's still like with the, the, the music coming in, the original theme and then everybody together. I'm like, that's Star Wars. Like, that's it. Like that's I, I I thought they 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 got that they could have done it better, but like I still. But once again, I'm uh, a sap yeah. that will <laughs> will uh, tow the company line on anything Star Wars. So I just wish a well, stormtrooper had said, "There's more of us." That would have yeah. been a really nice. Yeah, it it, yeah. it did feel like they were really laying the foundation for like, oh, but the the stormtroopers are going to turn and then they're going to like, then that'll be the big turning point, the battle. And it's like, instead you get these, this small group of former stormtroopers leading a charge to murder their, their brothers and sisters. Well, maybe they should have turned to the light side. Maybe they should have been given a chance. (laughs) Jeez. They had their chance. (laughs) Now look, Daniel, if the force did not speak to you, then you just didn't get it. Okay. Let's move on. You gotta be tuned into the right frequency. Let's move on. Sorry. All right. So, uh, we'll move on to, they've put out, uh, we'll end with the Mandalorian stuff. So they, uh, they've put out some new information for some upcoming stuff. Not a whole lot of information, neither, like nothing's really known about any of these projects Mm -hmm. except for names attached. Uh, Leslie Headland is going to be, is going to write, produce and serve as showrunner for an upcoming Disney plus series. Mm -hmm. Set in the Star Wars universe. Uh, she's done a bunch of stuff known probably most recently for Russian Doll, the Netflix mm-hmm. series. What a concept. And then, and then the uh, the big, probably the bigger one that hit was uh, Taika Waititi will be directing and co-writing a new Star Wars mm-hmm. film. Uh, co-writing with Christy Wilson Cairns, or Carnes, I probably butchered that. Mm-hmm. Who uh, was a writer for Penny Dreadful and also 1917, mm-hmm. which I love. Mm-hmm. Will Korg be in it? Yes, he will. I, I Absolutely. Don't, I, I, doubt, I doubt Korg will be in it. So, I'm not interested. So I, I don't know if you guys saw this, but I listened to and uh, follow the creators of a podcast called Sky Talkers. Um, they're a wonderful uh, Star Wars podcast. Um, that does a lot of great deep dives and you know does reviews of the shows. They're awesome. Charlotte and Caitlin are wonderful. Um, and Charlotte posted something that Leslie Headland um, said when she was asked in an interview about if she would want to tackle Star Wars and like what's your favorite Star Wars. And she said something along the lines of like, you know, I I, I don't have a favorite Star Wars. I just love Star Wars so much. I want to inhabit and live in the Star Wars. So, like, as as someone who, that's kind of how, like, I feel about Star Wars, having someone like that, like, she gets it. Like, that's, it It, it felt like just the 100% right answer that I wanted to hear. 
And seeing what her work with, with Russian Doll, which I really, really enjoyed, I'm very excited to see what she will do with her Disney Plus show. I, I don't know what it's going to be. I, I always hope it's either Old Republic or High Republic or something like that, but I, I have no idea what it is. I'm just hoping for something new. Because that, that's what I, like, again, Mandalorian's been one of my favorite things Star Wars has ever done. And, like, it largely, though we'll talk about other stuff coming up, it largely didn't have legacy stuff in it. Mm-hmm. It was instead just its own thing, and I love that. But Well, say- like, it was its own thing, but it's a very classic story, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, like, it's a very old story, uh, but it, it did have some new characters and it was really fun to see that classic western story yeah in a uh it, it dressed up in star wars but it was a lot of fun and it, it's i know a, the nice thing is like leslie headland's incredibly talented has done a lot of successful things before which because like while i like hearing those and those fan answers of like oh well it means so much to me I always am reminded of there's no bigger X-Men fan in Hollywood than Simon Kinberg. That's there's true. also no worse a movie director for an X-Men movie than Simon Kinberg. Yeah, but I, I, I think it's di- I don't think that's the same thing. No, no, it's it's not because like he was it like that's what I was saying is like I'm glad that she also has like the resume to back mm-hmm. it up, whereas he didn't. Oh, you mean Simon Kinberg, the one of the executive producers of Star Wars Rebels? Yes, but you can executive produce something and never touch it. I know, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Simon Kinberg, the writer of X3, The Last Stand, and And Dark Phoenix. Director, writer of Dark Phoenix. He just made the same movie twice. (laughs) Are you you saying Dark Phoenix is bad? Yes. It's somehow better than The Last Stand by, like, or is it worse? I don't know. I I I, still don't know about that movie. I don't know. I, I can't tell it, which is worse. Which is, is, is I mean, probably... <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I still... What the jury's I find, still out. It's What bad. I find most frustrating is that the Dark Phoenix storyline should be X-Men meets Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's the caliber of the story. That's what you're dealing with, is X-Men in space with the Shi'ar and Star Wars. And we've never gotten close to that. And I like how they are always saying, you know, audiences won't connect. You know, like, they connect with Star Wars. Yeah, I, <laughs> I do love now that you're still getting stuff of people saying, like, audiences won't connect if we go too weird. And you're like, oh, really? I remember the massive success of a movie with a talking tree and raccoon. Like, That's true. audiences will connect if you write it well. <laughs> so, Bill, about the, the uh, Leslie Headland show and the Taika Waititi movie, uh, as, as a Star Wars fan, what... What do you? What's uh, a story that is sort of little known in the universe that you would like to see covered? That's just really weird in the Star oh, Wars universe. God, that's such a good question. That's kind of weird. I think it'd be interesting if they did something past the sequels. I, I, I not like like hundreds of years after the sequels. You can mm-hmm. do Ray's story later. Do something completely different where you're not encumbered by like you know, legacy, just something like that. I I just, cause it's the, take the training wheels off the bike and mm -hmm. really see what you can do. I, and like, I've, I've said this so many times on every podcast I've ever been on about star Wars. 
I'm a sucker for Jedi. So like anything Jedi, I love. You know, I don't know if Taika's sensibilities. You know, as as a great director and, and writer, I don't know if they they lend. You know, to a story like that, but like at the same time, this is also the guy who made a movie about the absurdity of Nazis and made it into an Oscar-winning film. So like, yeah, yeah. I, what. I, he can do it all, I guess. Like, so yeah. I, I am all, like I said, always a sucker for the Force and the Jedi. So something like that, I, I just want to see what he does because I think he has such a interesting voice and interesting vision. And I, once again, when I went to go see Jojo Rabbit, I was expecting like, oh, this will be silly. This will be, um, yeah, not fully knowing what to expect. And that movie just completely blew me away. So like, he can do emotional. He can do funny. It, it doesn't matter what he does. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. And it, I honestly, I'm not sure you even necessarily have to time jump though. I'm certainly open to it mm-hmm. to get away from all that. Cause like, I would love to see what's happening on the outer rim. Mm. It's like, we keep hearing about it. And it's like, Oh, well out there, the like unknown no, regions. Yeah. The unknown yeah. regions. Absolutely. Like, it, it's like a, a movie I would like to see is like after the order 66, some of the other random Jedi that survived, Mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay with like, that. E- like Ezra Bridger. Yeah. Well, te- technically, he was wasn't he born after? I I thought Ezra Bridger was the one that Darth Vader fought to get his saber. No, 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 uh, no, 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 no. That was in uh, that was a comic. I forget. Like he did like a that was a uh, Kanan, wasn't it? No, 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 no. He didn't have. Uh... Someone like Quinlan Voss would make sense to me. Like, yes. yeah, story... one of my favorites. And like that's a that's another character where they have just not given him any time, even though he's one of the like Dark Disciple is one of my favorite Star Wars novels yes. because like he's such an interesting character and has such a great relationship with Asajj. I've even speculated before that like if you're gonna do an Obi Wan Kenobi series, you need a compelling villain. And what kind of and I think Quinlan would make a compelling villain because he has the tendency for the dark side, and if he finds out that like. If it, I like to think that that Quinlan or some of the Jedi know that Anakin turned to the dark side and betrayed the Jedi. So like having a former Jedi coming after Luke and that's like the foil of the series or the movie or whatever they yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. I just especially thought, especially since he and Obi Wan used to be friends. Right. Exactly. Right. I feel like if you do an Obi Wan series, you have to bring Darth Maul back in some capacity. Well, they they have you <sighs> no, ever you seen can't. Rebels, David? I. I think I saw the fight and uh, the rebels are legends where they, Rebel. just have, they have that quick fight at the, in the, that's yeah. rebels. Yeah. That's rebels. And but, like, and I got a spoiler for rebels. Like a big part of that, of that, of Maul's arc and rebels is finding out that Obi-Wan's alive. He didn't know he was yeah. alive. Mm-hmm. So like, that's, I get where, where I get where that impulse comes from, but I think something way more likely is probably getting, uh, Anakin Skywalker, Hayden Christensen, like Force Vision or something like that in a Kenobi series. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're gonna get a villain, or maybe Va- I, I, I don't know, but like, yeah, I'm whatever Taika and whatever Leslie Headland do, especially like 1917, like Jojo Rabbit and 1917 were two of the best movies last year, like yes. Oscar-winning movies. So like, I, I think we forget that we've had some incredibly talented people work on Star Wars. Ron Howard worked on Star yeah. Wars and now you have t- he was an Oscar winner and now you have two Oscar winning 
uh, writers and directors in Star Wars, this is only a good thing. Like, I, I yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm excited to see where this goes. And it, it's uh, uh, going back to that Mandalorian, uh, Mandalorian making of show. It's been really refreshing and interesting to see a more diverse group of voices coming in for behind the scenes of mm-hmm. Star Wars. No, I and. Getting getting the chance to they bring something else that wasn't there before to the table. Mm-hmm. Oh, I and I love he, like you know hearing Deborah Chow talk or Rick Famuyiwa. Oh, yeah. Like I, I I just those are directors that like I had seen their work before the Mandalorian, but like hearing that like Star Wars influenced them in that way, and that like there's been a debate in. In, in Star Wars fandom for forever, for well, basically since Disney uh, bought Star Wars, that you need to have more diversity behind the scenes. And I think yeah. that the Mandalorian and it, it, it proves that like the people love the Mandalorian because it has it, it, it is so different. It, it is so it feels like Star Wars, but like you also have really really talented people in there that aren't the traditional Star Wars director, which mm-hmm. I think you need. You need more women. You need more people of color in there. And like, I once again, Taika Waititi and then uh, Christy Wilson or Cairns, both really really talented directors that aren't the traditional Star Wars director, and they're gonna yeah. knock it out of the park. Well, it's it's sort of it reminds me of like. You know, you had J.J. Abrams do Force Awakens, Ryan Johnson do uh, Last Jedi, and then when Colin Trevorrow, they suddenly thought better of for uh, Episode Nine, like, they just went straight back to J.J. Abrams. And I could understand, like, a thing of, well, we need someone... It's similar to, like, when Joss Whedon had to try to finish Justice League. Mm -hmm. You know, it is the... Oh no! Well, we now are in a terrible situation. We need someone who can land this plane, and or it's like, oh no, we need someone who can perform this surgery. And you go like, hey, I've performed that surgery, and they're like, mm-hmm. perfect, you get over <laughs> here. And like, because with Whedon, people forget that, but like, you know, DC was sitting there going like, well, we need someone who can do a big superhero team up movie. It's like, hey, I did a big superhero team up movie, and like that's uh, the thing he, with like the, that whole Justice League situation was just awful to begin with like oh, yeah. like, like it was that, a, that's it, it was an unwinnable task to begin with oh, so yeah. like oh, yeah. I, but yeah but it's and like i guess that's probably the reason but it is especially looking at the mandalorian you sometimes wonder you're like why couldn't we were like reach out to any of these directors mm-hmm. to maybe maybe land that plane right well one thing i enjoyed about the mandalorian that i hadn't realize necessarily is it seemed like John Favreau had all of the directors kind of visiting each other's days on sets mm-hmm. basically like it seemed like they were sort of thick as thieves the entire time mm-hmm. and uh and I found that you know that that's a really interesting decision to keep them all on the same page but to also keep them you know working together rather seamlessly and i i think you know just as as someone who knows that, like, you know, Dave Dave Filoni's background, having those people around him, like, yeah. these experienced directors, and not and, and John Favreau as well, I'm sure yeah. that was invaluable for him. He'll be oh, like, yeah. and I, I, I'm sure he'll, like, and he'll talk about that at some point. We're like, yeah, I'm a first-time live-action director, and just being around those, you know, these 
wonderful creative people he did talk about it in the uh directing episode because mm-hmm. he, he talked about he's like yeah every time i had a question john favreau was right there and and they also talk about because this was bryce dallas howard's uh directorial debut mm-hmm. and i think her episode's like you know if, one of the best yeah no i i love that episode like if they didn't have that big you know the big fight of the final fight at the end i think that would be my favorite episode of the season because it 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 has so much emotional weight to it, and it like really you does. see what his life could be. Yeah, but like it, it's it's just wonderfully directed, wonderfully written. Um, and I just I'm very very happy with where they with with how they're going about this, and I hope this means that John Favreau is is having kind of a say in Star Wars as well. Um. Because I I think I think having you know th- I think this specific group of directors this kind of you know mm-hmm. these kind of creative voices in the room are only going to make Star Wars better and I like yes. I, I yeah well actually Beth you had an interesting point earlier about what you thought watching that first thing the first uh the directing episode yeah what that- you thought about Favreau. Well, it, it almost made me wonder if this wasn't sort of like a, a test for Favreau to see, like, how does he handle working with multiple directors on larger projects? Like, can he, uh, could he possibly be a creative director of some fashion going forward? Like, um, it, it was just sort of, I was just spitballing, but, mm-hmm. um, but. For I, Favreau? Favreau to be a creative director? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, so, I, in. I don't know if this is just, you know, Bill intuition or whatever, mm-hmm. but the way, like I, when I heard him talking at celebration last year to mm-hmm. like where he is now, I think that's where we're going because yeah. like, mm-hmm. I don't think you bring out John Favreau like this and he's not as invested in this show. If there, if he's not having a say in, in something else as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's, he was the reason Marvel did, like was able to start so oh, yeah. freaking well. So like, Mm-hmm. I I think having someone like Favreau there, it, even as much as I love Kathleen Kennedy, I, and I think I, I trust her, and I think she's been mm-hmm. a wonderful executive. I think you need somebody like John Favreau. That well, and and I think she's better at a lot of the business. Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. I think like you need someone to maybe help manage the the creative side because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it. Lots of times, a lot of, I think, her picks for directing movies were kind of the, well, who's, who's hot right now? Mm-hmm. Who, who's the person who is the director people are talking about? And I think it seemed like Favreau kind of dug a little deeper. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if maybe they're building up to, like, we still need her to run the business end, definitely. Mm-hmm. But, like maybe we need someone to help manage creatively this whole universe. Well, especially with how closely he's working with Dave Filoni, mm-hmm. which, which by the way, Disney plus, if you wanted to do like a little show of Dave Filoni talks about star Wars for 30 minutes <laughs> with the, occasional I, would, like, I, that, so. I, I would pay for the service just for that. Like if that was the yeah. only thing on it. I would listen. <laughs> I would pay for it. There's a, there's a clip on YouTube of like, uh, Henry Cavill breaking down a scene in The Witcher, and he's like, he get he's like getting really invested in it and like talking it. I would watch like a whole series 
of Dave Filoni taking scenes from Star Wars and just breaking them down like that. <laughs> Same. What do you think about these new directors that got confirmed then? So, we do have some Mandalorian news. You have two new directors who are coming in. Robert Rodriguez, mm-hmm. uh, Sin City Spy Kids, Alita, um, Pey- and Peyton Reed, probably best known for Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. I love the, 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 the tone of that. Best known for Ant-Man? Well, <laughs> look, best I know... Known? I know that Yes Man and Bring It On have their own fans. They do. But uh, I think more recently, most people would probably know Peyton Reed's work Mm -hmm. from the two Ant-Man movies. Mm -hmm. I I think Bring It On was his most successful. It was. uh, I I, I could see it. It was definitely a a cultural landmark for a lot of people. It's true. It spawned a TV series. Yeah. Um, It's a good point, Daniel. That's a very good point. (laughs) And yeah, where's con- Ant-Man's of series? <laughs> oh, Disney, Disney Plus will get there, David. Don't you worry. Checkmate. Cassie Lang is one of the young Avengers for a reason. Disney Plus will get to that series. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, now, I do have a theory about The Mandalorian Season 2 when it comes to directors, and I've, I've talked about this on Twitter a little bit. I'm a big fan of The Chef Show on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And that's like John Favreau's like cooking show that he does with the the guy <laughs> yeah, who he yeah. helped make yeah, the yeah, chef yeah. with. And both of these guys have been on the chef show. So we need to be watching the chef I show. I think like he's he like the tea leaves are there and I've ah. and there an, another director was on the chef show in this last season. That got me thinking like cuz Robert Rodriguez was on, Peyton Reed was on at one point too. Another guy who was on was Sam Raimi. Oh, Sam Raimi? Ooh, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. The director of Spider-Man, Evil Dead, all that stuff. And he was talking about his sourdough. Mm. Like, how to make good sourdough bread. Of course he has a sourdough. Uh, Of course. Of course he does. (laughs) Um, But I I think what they're doing with season two that's different than what they're doing here, I think they're still going to have kind of that collective brain trust. But I think right now there are six confirmed directors. Maybe, though, because isn't Deborah Chow supposed to be directing, like, every Obi-Wan episode? Yes, yes, she is. And I think she's so, also, the, is she, I think she's the showrunner as well. Is she? I, no, because I thought they switched the showrunner. They, okay, she might they, be they direct- switched the uh, They switched the writers, I believe. Oh, that's mm-hmm. it. They switched the writers. I knew yeah. they had switched someone recently mm-hmm. to someone, or to two people who haven't done a whole so lot. So I think what but. they're doing for season two, I think we're going to get a different director for every episode because that's, we already have six confirmed. Yeah. Um, and that, like, I think that's just traditional, just like television. They, they do that a lot with a lot of series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause they, they almost even did that this season. Mm-hmm. It's what Dave Filoni directed two and, uh, Taika did oh, and Rick Famuya did two. That's as well. it. He did two. Yeah. But I, but I think in, in my, I'm going to put, I'm putting, you, you, the recording's there. And if I'm wrong, we can delete it and it's fine. <laughs> um, I think Sam Raimi is the seventh one. And I'm just going to do a shot in the dark because why not? Because I love him. I think Ryan Johnson's the eighth. I could see it. Especially because he's still working on his trilogy, isn't right? He? Supposedly, well, I, supposedly I, I, he hasn't given an update in a while, so I I don't know what's happening. So we'll, well see. I'm not sure Star Wars knows exactly no, what's I, happening. I don't think Ryan. <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, that's. 
I don't think anyone knows what's happening right now by the in way, the entertainment industry. So. By the way, going, going back to uh, the Taika news. So we're supposedly going to get a Star Wars movie. Like the schedule, like the next Star Wars movie is in December of 2022. Mm-hmm. Yes, but here's the thing. I'm betting all those schedules are Yeah, no, change. I think, but do you think, let's just, let's say this was a, a normal world. And like mm-hmm. the news that, the, I, I think this news was going to come out on May the 4th, either way, if there was a global pandemic or not. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And do you think uh, there was are a, you, are you asking if that was going to be the next movie? Yes. Cause I, 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 I have, could see it. Yeah. I have no idea because like Thor is, he's supposed to start filming Thor in, or he was in August, but I think that's going to get pushed yes. back a little bit. So, like, I, I don't know if, like, there's, if that lines up or he'll have enough time to, because he's also writing the Star Wars uh, movie. So, yeah. like, I don't know if that makes, if if he has the time to do that, because, uh, like, that can't, that's got to be hard. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. I think they had actually already necessary. I think they might have already di- gone away from that original schedule they put mm-hmm. out of Star Wars movies. Cause I think, I think more or less what they had s- sort of said was that like the, uh, Benioff and Weiss was going to be their next one. And then that fell apart. And like, I think one of the last things I heard was like, yeah, no one kind of knows when the next Star Wars film is going to happen. And like, they had statements kind of like, Oh, the future is in TV for Star Wars. And so I, I'm not sure if they even have a locked down schedule anymore. I, and, and and even so, especially now, like but, yeah. everything's moving. But I was just like, well, is, is, is this coming out in 2022 or like what's what's the deal here? But like I'm I I think it's I thought like it was wishful thinking if there was a normal time if and they announced this that they was coming in 2022. I think it's much more realistic that this his movie comes in like 2023, 2024. Probably. So. Cuz he's he's going to be a very busy man in Hollywood. Yes. Cuz I, I could even see if maybe he has to sort of step away from the Mandalorian for a little bit mm-hmm. to focus. Uh cuz he's got a bunch of big movies coming up. True. True, true. But, Let's talk about uh, Tamara Morrison, one of yeah, my yes, favorite actors. They, they did also uh reports came out Friday of Boba Fett to appear in Mandalorian season two. Mm-hmm. No, he doesn't uh, die in the Starlight. Well, Tamara to, to Morrison to mm-hmm. appear in season two. I think, and I, I yeah. don't remember the exact words. See, I saw a bunch of stuff saying reports of Boba Fett played mm-hmm. by Tamara Morrison, which I'm See, completely. Uh, here's what I hope that they do, and once again, this is is showing my love for animation. I hope that they, since we already. Basically, know Ahsoka is going to show up in season two. Yes, cast uh, Rosario Dawson. And so, ha- if you have Ahsoka there, I hope that Tamara Morrison voices Boba Fett. Maybe he even he's in the suit for Boba Fett. I'd be completely okay with that. But then he's he plays Captain Rex. Like I, uh, I think that that's he could I play. I wondered like, if he was a clone. Actually, yeah. Do what? Yeah. Yeah, I would actually love it if he was. If this is like, if all these early reports are wrong, and he's maybe like not playing Boba Fett, and he's just playing Rex, I'd be I'd, like, that's I'd be down for that. I I think that right now, like, I I don't know how old he is, but like, he could play like the he's getting gr- he's getting up there. He could play the grizzled like older version of Rex, mm-hmm. and I think that to, he has like 
seeing his like seeing him in Aquaman, he can play like a warm character like Rex. Yeah. So like yeah. having that that grizzled, kind of warm, like buddy character, I I think he would knock that out of the park. And like that's as mu- I really liked I like him as Django. I think Django's cooler than Boba Fett. Like I, I Yeah. But I no. I just I, I will always stand by the fact Boba Fett's not cool. I'm sorry. <laughs> Boba Fett is the most overrated character in Star Wars. Point second, second, Captain Phasma. Okay, good call. Hey, he fell in that Starlight pit like a man. <laughs> he was nudged off a floating platform by a blind idiot into a Starlight pit what, like what a you, man. What did you expect from him? It's not like he had a jetpack. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. A really there was no point. way he could escape. How could he go up? <laughs> it's, oh, yeah, it, it's... I, I have said, uh, similar to how Bill has statements on record, I have statements on record on this very podcast about my not wanting legacy characters in The Mandalorian, and I still stand by those statements. Uh, I'm not saying that there is no way for this to work. I mean, Dave Filoni knows Star Wars better than anybody. This is a very talented group of creators. You can make this work. And they so set it up. Like, they set it up in, like, the worst episode of that series with the worst character in Star Wars ever. When I say legacy characters, I'm actually including Ahsoka in that as well. Okay, I got you. I, I think it would... I think... Like, in my thought is, I think it damages that show by bringing too much of the Jedi stuff in there. And I know, because I've heard it all every time I've said this, of like, but you have, like, this little Force user. And, like, I've seen people who are like, oh, but he's got to be trained. But the thing is, he's a toddler. Like, he can't talk or barely walk on his own yet. Like, Mm -hmm. he can't train as a Jedi, and... You've kind of gotten the sense through, like, Ezra Bridger and other characters that you can kind of use the Force without necessarily having the Jedi training. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that might have more or less been almost indoctrination. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I think they could bring it in well. I'm just worried about saddling a show that is so different from Star Wars and it's sort of an interesting part of the universe we don't get to see, and just kind of saddling it with a bunch of legacy characters for the sake of, well, now it's a real Star Wars thing. Bring on Rex and Ahsoka, 2K20. That's, I, I'm with Beth on that. <laughs> I'm the vice president of that club. She's the president. <laughs> I love it for being so different from Star Wars. I think it still could be like because mm-hmm. Ahsoka is not a Jedi. Like she's mentioned that before. She's she's not a Jedi. She's she's very different. And and I think that there's really no place in the universe of the original trilogy for the clones. So I think that you could definitely have them being on the outskirts of their respective universes and and doing different things. Like one thing I enjoyed about Rebels was how mystic the Force got and how mm-hmm, they've gotten mm-hmm. to lord of the ringsy magic the world as, between as worlds that, oh my yes. god that's yeah. so cool so i think no, if you if you dabbled in love. that like that could get really interesting though so, wouldn't the better place to explore like wouldn't that be like the rebels follow-up show and like but like I, what whatever that is going to be yeah see we i know what i i'm confused on the timeline with 
with all like where Rebels ends because like if Rebels, Rebels ends like right after Return of the Jedi, which I think it does, mm-hmm. that means yeah. that there's like four, see- four or five years where that animated sequel could take place. Mm-hmm. Um, but and still, that's ha- also, and still have Ahsoka show up in the Mandalorian. So, like, well, except in the Mandalorian, it's always it also feels like the Empire just 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 was defeated. Mm-hmm. So, like, those would take place at like the same time, mm-hmm. and that's like because I, given the choice between Ahsoka in live action or seeing a Rebel sequel series where they continue. Like that story, I'd rather see the animated series than just I would, see her I as would a as well. in the Mandalorian. Me too. I would as well. Yeah, I, I'd I'd rather us continue Ahsoka's journey in a show that's about Ahsoka. Now, if you can give me both, I'm completely okay with that. Oh like, yeah. If she shows up in the Mandalorian, and they're like, it's still like part of like searching for Ezra, and Thrawn shows up at some point. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I'm okay with that. And but, I like, could see her appearing in the Mandalorian partially to point people towards Rebels if they haven't watched it already, mm-hmm. and to say, hey, there. If you want more of this character, there's this, you know, second this sequel to this Rebel series. You know, be sure you catch up. Mm-hmm. Like this Sunday on Disney Plus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> binge it now (laughs) but yeah again i there's ways you can do it i i just have reservations Mm -hmm. and i i I, and i think part of it is especially i think star wars now needs to not just probably should but needs to get a break from its existing canon Mm -hmm. it needs to do something completely different and open up their universe versus continue to shrink it down. Mm. And well, so when when you have every story needs to have a few notable characters so that it can fall right in this line, I I think you limit your creativity and you need to be expanding it. Well, we can move on to other things Daniel's not excited about, but things that David can talk about. So let's move into anime. We'll move into things I'm not just, like, cautious about, I'm actively angry about. Ooh, I can be angry with you. Yes, David, this one's for us, and also Beth. Sony has announced... Uh, there is a One Punch Man live-action movie in the works from the writers of Venom. Uh, you know, every... because anime live-action films have been worked out so damn well so far. I think yeah. Bill Sheehy of Funkhauser uh, said it was a surprisingly fun ride, so I'm very excited about that, but- Daniel. They wrote the Jumanji movies too, though. Okay, like, they, they did. Wrote, they they wrote did write the Jumanji movies. movies. That's what so much fun. Like, I will grant them that. I will say, I feel like Venom was only carried by Tom Hardy. That's true. <laughs> There's nothing up there where I was like, oh, and the writing was so phenomenal. Have like, we talked about the name of the next Venom movie? By the way, <laughs> what's it no, called? No, what's it called? <laughs> I think it's it's Venom. Let there be carnage. Oh yes, I had heard that. <laughs> that is the dumbest title. Bill, you're gonna get me. You're gonna get me pre-angry. <laughs> I, 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 think, I like, actually love that. I bet it's dumb on purpose, and I love that. Here's the thing: <laughs> if it could be dumb on purpose, I want them to lean in to the relationship angle. Oh, I mean, absolutely. 
Like, yes! that was the best part of Venom, mm. was the relationship not between Michelle Williams and Tom Hardy, but between Tom Hardy and the symbiote. Absolutely. And let me tell, like, as much as I hate that name, I, I honestly think that something like Venom 2, how Venom got his groove back, is probably a better title <laughs> than Let There Be Carnage. I would Venom, actually love that. Venom, Venom, Venom got his groove, groove back. <laughs> but... Or, or like Venom 2 Electric Venoloo uh, or something. No, I want it to be Venom's new groove and they just switch out Tom Hart <laughs> they switch out Tom Hardy and they put in David Spade. Shit. I, I will say That's a creative decision that I yeah. love. <laughs> Beth, Beth, I will say I also just looked it up and uh looks like the writers are also behind uh the Cowboy Bebop TV miniseries. And- Okay, Which yeah. I am cautiously no, excited I'm going for. back to Venom real quick, because if my David Spade moment, Carnage is going to rip Venom off of David Spade, and he's just going to go, You threw off my groove! <laughs> I'm sorry, sir, but you threw off I, I mean, because the other way is they could be doing that as the title, simply because everyone has made fun of that last line of Venom. There's going to be Carnage. It's going to be Carnage. They've made fun of that and Woody Harrelson's wig. And... <laughs> <laughs> like maybe they're just leaning into the fact it's stupid. Mm-hmm. Oh, Who absolutely! Knows? I, I appreciate the fact they lean into it. I Who think knows? They could do something similar to like what was the second Evil Dead, where they kind of just finally leaned into like the the comedy horror aspect of it. Yeah, they, th- there's there's a world, especially like Andy Serkis is a good director, and he, I think he's a really he's really talented at whatever he does. Like. I think if he leans into that, there's a world where, like, this is Oh, good. yeah, he is doing the second Venom, isn't he? Yeah, he is. <laughs> well, who knows? When he's not reading The Hobbit on live stream, he's, <laughs> he's directing Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Which is, is that the new uh, Harley Quinn and the Emancipation of, oh, no, Birds of Prey and the, and Emanci- the Emancipation of And the Fantabulous Emancipation of, of one Harley, Harley Quinn. I prefer Harley Quinn, the Fabulous Emancipation of the Birds of Prey. To, yeah. That would have been more accurate yeah. to what the movie was. Uh, okay, but back to this. <laughs> back to this. So, they're supposedly making a One Punch Man movie. Sony has said that they are interested in this for its worldwide popularity and the potential to franchise it. Here's the thing, though. One Punch Man is just so way out there with all their villains and stuff. Like, it's a terrible idea to make this. Well, <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing, because David, uh, and I know Beth has also both read and watched the series. Bill, I don't think you have. Uh-uh, no. I have never figured out even how you could make a One Punch Man anime movie, let alone a live action Listen, like, if Hollywood has proven anything, they can take traditionally Asian content and do it really well, really tasteful, no cultural appropriation. They, they, we, they know what they're doing. Bill, you be quiet. Scarlett Johansson's going to be All great right. as Saitama. All right. That's true. Now, I, I know how they're going to do this. They're going to take the Dragon Ball Evolution route and put Saitama oh, in college. Oh, just the, oh, They just God. put the entire cast of Shameless in it and then... I just, like, because the thing is, the joke of One Punch Man is that every fight ends immediately, mm-hmm. basically. Well, or, or at the every at, fight that involves Saitama. Every fight ends the minute Saitama arrives. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, because like, entire- usually, usually a lot of it is you're watching other characters waiting for him to show well, up. The entire story of One Punch Man is done by side characters. 
Yes. But, you know, there's a lot to delve into with, like, how Saitama represents even, like, depression and stuff. And it's it's a smartly written show that's also very funny. The thing that especially upsets me is the, well, we want to franchise this. Because, like, in the manga right now, they're doing a lot of, like, cutaway stories in the middle of this thing of, like, here, we'll let you, we'll introduce you to one of these other heroes, and isn't, aren't they cool? And most of the time, you're just like, I just want to go back to, like, the small handful of characters I actually give a damn about. Like, I don't care about this person at all. <laughs> you know what? No, I know how they're going to make this work. It's going to be, for people who have seen season two, it's going to be One oh. Punch Man the movie, The Origin of King. <laughs> I could almost get behind that. I think what they will probably do is start with with Genos and have him as like your traditional char- char- protagonist, and then have him cross paths with Saitama. Because but then, yeah, I mean, I mean, do you have to just do it then as like a series of vignettes well, almost? Well, the whole thing is, Bill, are you going to end up watching One Punch Man? You should. You but, should, yeah, but, sure. Uh, but okay, but for people who are listening to this who like the show and haven't seen season two for whatever reason. Spoiler warning. The origin of King is he is, in the hero community, he's known as the strongest man alive. He's, what, number three or number five hero in the world? And in season two, you find out his origin. He's just been fucking lucky with the situations he gets. He he always gets in that situation where, like, this big bad monster comes up, and typically Saitama shows up, kills the monster, but King gets the credit. Yeah, King has just lucked his way into being one of the top heroes in the and world. He actually had and zero powers. He just has a cool scar going down his eye that makes him threatening looking. And well, and he has the King Engine, which they say as the King Engine revs up, he is getting ready for battle, and all it is is it's his heart pounding in his chest because he's so scared. That, that's why I think that could work as a live action movie because I, you, yeah, you, it'd be yeah. him just like basically terrified of all these monsters. Saitama shows up, kills it, and like maybe says like a one-liner or whatever Saitama wants to say, and then people maybe. like praise King for saving the day, and it's just like, and that 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 could fit the One Punch Man humor, and still mm-hmm. somehow be live action. It, yeah, it could. One of the things that has me nervous about this is this comes from Hollywood has a long history of remaking anime. <laughs> And that's not going away anytime soon. Uh, is there an example of a good reason that they did it? So I could almost... I mean, I've not seen Alita. I know people who love it. I also know that from what I've seen in reviews and stuff, it doesn't have an actual ending. Or it, it ends with the, like, you'll see more in the sequel, which... Bold move. We'll see how that plays out for him. Find out next week on you know, Dragon Ball Z. You know what? <laughs> Detective Pikachu wasn't that bad. Yeah, That's I true. would say of what I've seen, Detective Pikachu might be the best anime adaptation. And possibly also the best video game yeah. adaptation. And and here's the thing. I'm not going to say that's a great movie. It's it's fine. It's I fun. enjoyed it. It's really fun. It's fun. Anime and video it's games get a cute. short string on the Hollywood. Oh track. yeah, but they they keep trying to make them. Fandom had a tweet where they looked at all the upcoming live action remakes for shows or for 
movies of anime in the works, and it is staggering. Uh, One Punch Man, Death Note 2, for the sheer critical success of the first one. (laughs) I'm just shocked it's getting a sequel. (laughs) Yeah, I am too. The power of Willem Dafoe, I tell you what. (laughs) You cast one person right, and that's it. Uh, Cowboy Bebop, which is going to be a Netflix show. Uh, It's about the only one of these I'm kind of hopeful for. They have John Cho cast as Spike Spiegel. It's a miniseries. You could make that work. They've cast a cute dog to play Ayn. Attack on Titan. Oh, God. I know. Did that work? Well, I'm not sure any of these are out yet. There's a Full Metal Alchemist 2, which I didn't know there was a one. That's a good start. (laughs) <laughs> but I think that's a Japanese movie, am I right? Yes, that, like- uh, yeah, and there actually already is an Attack on Titan Japanese live-action film. Um, and, and it is garbage. It's, it's, it's not that great, and a lot of these films are extremely low-budget. And so there are some things, like you even see this in the Star Wars animated fil- animated shows, there are some things that work in animation that you just, are, they're really yes. hard to make work mm-hmm. in live-action. You can't do the same things. Yeah. And uh, uh, speaking of My Hero Academia, <laughs> okay, My Hero Academia, because some X Men movies had some success that you might be able to work with that in. But I would argue the X Men movies had what success they had wouldn't translate because they've never had success at showing the wide variety of the X-Men cast. But, they instead just focus it on one character, but usually I'm, I'm Wolverine. I'm just saying, a school of superhuman people has had success in Hollywood. Maybe, but, like, I would imagine they'd want to do that as a movie, but I'm not sure, like, how you make that a movie without losing a lot of what makes it work. I I th- and, think the problem is, is that most movie studios think that they can ad- adapt can adapt anything. And yeah. I think anime is a very specific genre that like mm-hmm. you said only works as animation. So like it just it it does not work if in anything mm-hmm. other than the than the medium that it was originally created for. So like yeah. it, it just I just don't understand why they have to keep Going to the mm-hmm. going and trying to do something that they know that doesn't work. But there's there's and, like a simple solution to this is like just hire the creator of the show of the anime to mm-hmm. write the movie. Well, but I would actually say no to that as well because it's a different beast. Like it, it's there are examples of people who have written successful novels of people who have written in other media that then try to be like, well, I'll write the screenplay then. Cause that'll make sense. I mean, hell David JK Rowling with both fantastic beasts. Uh, she was good on the first one. The second one was not, it was the worst garbage that I've ever seen. Okay. But in all fairness, JK Rowling has lost the wagon way before the, that, <laughs> but, but like it's, there, it's a very different style of writing. Are you saying the Cursed and Child is bad? I've not read Cursed Child, it's so bad. I couldn't tell you. It's bad. No, no, it's it's bad. Yeah, it, it's bad. It's very bad. Well, but I mean, and ostensibly, like the Fifty Shades movies. Sure, technically, she didn't write them. She just hired her husband to. 
For a good adaptation, you need someone who is skilled in adapting it. Well, I think you have to have something that would work for an adaptation. And, like, anime, a lot of why it stands out is the visuals. For instance, there's even talking with uh, creations of the manga artist One, there is a live-action Mob Psycho 100 series you can watch on Netflix. It's absolute garbage. Well, Mob Psycho is a terrible choice because that's all about psychic powers. That's yes. like 95% visuals. And, and the other thing is, is they kind of missed the point. Like, the point of Mob Psycho 100 is like, look, just because you have immense psychic powers doesn't make you better than anybody else. And apparently, like, I've only seen a bit of it, but like, it begins with this big monologue talking about all these cool psychics and their powers and how they've shaped the world. And you're just like, you've missed the point. Do they not even have the Body Improvement Club in it? They ruined that joke, by the way. Oh, no, they didn't. They That is an episode, like, and they do the whole thing, except for the fact they find every way to ruin the joke. Because, like, there's... There's no real reason, like, because part of, like, the psychic club is the fact they're not doing anything. They're just hanging out, and they just want Mob to be the fifth member so they can survive as a club. But, like, in the show, it's just pared down to the president of the club, and she is legit trying to do psychic research. And then they're just going to hand it over to the Body Improvement Club, but they even ruined the joke of that scene because they do another scene beforehand of him watching the body improvement club working out and being like, Oh, I should do that. And so it's like, they take one of the best crafted jokes of the show and they miss the point of, it. I hate that so much. The body improvement club is one of my favorite parts of mob. Psycho. They're, they're, they're darling. I love them. Yes. I'll have to and- maybe, I watched a video of someone tear apart that episode. I might have to send it your way, David. I'm, well, if I'm going to watch that, I probably have to watch the episode and get angry. Then I'll watch that. No, no, no. He plays enough clips. Okay. Uh, he he plays enough clips. I, I will like, also say for that film's benefit too that that's another very low budget. It looks like film. Oh they yeah, didn't, it, they didn't have a lot to work with. To it start is, with. but like I've seen high budget movies deal with psychic powers. Yeah, and like, but part of it is in Mob Psycho 100. The psychic powers are beautiful. Oh, they're mm-hmm. gorgeous. they're amazing to look at. And, like, every Hollywood movie, the thing I'm most worried about is the most common adaptation. Uh, it does this with comics, does this with almost everything. It's like, well, we need to ground it in reality. And anime works best when it is more about spectacle and separated from reality. See, what I think of when I think of My Hero Academia and the challenge of adapting it to live action is part of what is fun about animation is it alters you can suspend your disbelief more because what you're mm-hmm. seeing on screen is, is already not, not real per se. Exactly. But um, when you add the stylism of, of anime, uh, I, I would find it very difficult to see, say, Todoroki's powers, especially in season two, translated into a live action form mm-hmm. because you would have to make it look like fire and look like real ice. And you would limit the sheer scope of what it can do in animation. Mm-hmm. 
And I'd be worried about some characters' powers like uh, Tokoyami with Dark Shadow, how that would translate. Uh, Tokoyami, I, I think, I, th- I don't think that would, one would be a problem. I think it, it's mostly between Todoroki and Bakugo who would be a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, well, then again, the- if it's directed by Michael Bay, Bakugo's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Supposedly that one is being worked on by Legendary uh, Pictures who did Detective Pikachu. Okay, at least they have like the best anime live action. Uh, again, I actually I would argue, and this is I think there's a perfect example of this, both for video game movies and anime. I think the perfect movie of those have both already been made. The problem is they're not adaptations, but they're just stylized well. I think the perfect video game movie is Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah. Well, it's just you know, not based on anything. It's based on a game they created for the movie. Exactly. And the it's the same as if you're going like, what's the best, most anime-looking live-action film? It's probably going to be Pacific Rim. So you're telling me just let Guillermo do every uh, anime movie then? If he wants to do this Gundam one that I'm seeing yes. on this list, go all out on that. Because you have, like, Gundam, One Piece, Naruto, Sword Art Online, which I guess they can't make it any worse. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I know. Shots fired. I don't care. (laughs) Uh, Your Name, which... That's just... That is already a movie you could watch. You know what one might actually work in live action? Which one? Dr. Stone. That's based on science. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can see it. That one yeah. could actually work. But that, I was surprised it wasn't on this list, actually. I was mentioning it to Daniel. Because, I'm surprised Dr. Stone I, Because where all there. these animes are based on yeah. this fantasy and visuals, Dr. Stone's actually based on science. Yeah. yeah. No, you could very easily make a Dr. Stone movie uh, or show that All you be... have to say is 10 billion percent 5 million times and you get this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And David, don't forget, get excited. Oh, yeah. And get excited. Because how we made fun of Naruto for saying believe it, this believe says it. this says those two lines five million times. And and you know if you've read the manga, David, like those catchphrases just keep getting worse. Like there's so many more <laughs> yeah, of them. It, it's that's <laughs> the thing is I I kind of hope they tone those down because I do I love Doctor Stone, but man, man, those catchphrases. Oh. I'm getting excited. And I will say that that. My anime club at, at our library, they love Dr. Stone more than anything they've loved in a while. Um, so, and I think that one of the things that made it exciting was that they wanted more science kits in the library because Senku's, quote, superpowers were superpowers they could have, too. That's, yeah. that's what's really exciting about it, you know. Oh, um, by the way, to finish off this list, uh, Akira and the Promised Neverland. Yeah, Akira's yeah. never gonna get made. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you right now, it's not going to. It's been in development hell for twenty years. Like it's well, that's, n- that's fair. Everyone it's not gonna happen. Ak- Akira, that's all on those motorcycles. It's gonna be done by Fast and Furious, and it's gonna be. <laughs> well, I think the last we heard was Taika Waititi was doing it, but it keeps getting delayed because you know he's doing the Thor four, and now he has the Star Wars film. Yeah, but. I, I... Um, I would love to see a Taika Waititi Akira, though. Mm-hmm. I remember at one point, like, they were, like I was probably back in high school still, even when they were talking about this, 
was like the Tom Cruise as the lead in Akira. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> and they're like, he might finally get this made. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> well, and the thing is, Akira is also so stylish and was so influential on, on the genre as a whole. So it's like mm-hmm. it it's the and it's the thing of like I think to do it best, you'd have to get a live action movie that could capture that style. Yeah. And even while I'm like hopeful for Cowboy Bebop, like it's going to need to capture that style. <laughs> and it's going to need to have that theme song. <laughs> well, that's that. If it doesn't have Tank as the theme song, that's just not negotiable. <laughs> I'm still waiting for that Yu Gi Oh live action where there's just two guys. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would love a Yu-Gi-Oh live action. But they gotta really lean into it, like it's Yu-Gi versus Kaiba. But instead of the holodisks, they're just sitting at a table. I played it. <laughs> one of my, I saw a wonderful piece of fan art once that was like Kaiba facing like some toddler, and he just flips the table over. He's like, "You're a third-rate duelist with a fourth-rate deck." <laughs> I know that too. I know what you're talking about. I'm a bad guy, but I really love my brother. Seto Kaiba's presence in it nearly made me buy Jump Force, and everything I heard was that that game was at best a little a little bland. Oh Jesus! But I was like, oh, but I could be Seto Kaiba. Yeah, it's. I just I don't know why they keep trying to make anime movies because they they have their popularity and they want to try to cash in on it but no one can do it well yeah and i think there is also this subtle thing to it where a lot of studios and even sadly some fans and media people seem to think of it as well it's not really a thing until it gets the live action movie mhm like Because, you know, My Hero Academia is just this thing nobody knows about, but if they make a movie, it might take off. And you're just like, it's like one of the number one shows in the world. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Well, I think we'll probably wrap up. Bill, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Um, Yeah, follow me on uh, my podcast. It's a Star Wars podcast with my good friend Trey Mitchell. It's called Skywalking Through the League. Follow us on... Uh, Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, and follow us on Twitter at SkywalkingTL, and follow me on Twitter at Star Wars Bill, the only Star Wars Bill out there. So, I, I have that going for me. <laughs> there you go. Beth, do you have anything to plug? Um, well, uh, I know that most public libraries' doors are closed right now physically, but uh, do check and see if your library's e-services are online because there's a lot of places to get ebooks and videos and music and other things that uh that you uh can find with your library card so just keep supporting your public library because they're still trying to support you very well said david do you have anything you'd like to plug if you want to listen to me talk about how the cincinnati Bengals are like the weasley family (laughs) follow me on twitter (laughs) <laughs> you made a very good point. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it was such a stupid point, but I love it. And then uh you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel Dunstan. Uh you can also follow the show on Twitter at Nerds for Normal. That's Nerds the number four and then normal. 
keep watching. We're going to try to hopefully have more content. I've had to adjust to working from home and a whole bunch of other changes with my job uh, as a result of, you know, global pandemics. Heard of it. And Heard so, of it. <laughs> and so, like, that's why we had such a delay. <laughs> but we're we're starting to level out, and I'm hoping here soon we can start something fun, which is we're going to do a uh, comic book movie bracket. Sweet. Yeah, so hopefully we'll have a finished bracket that we can tweet out, and then we'll start going through it and figure out what is the best comic book superhero movie. And why is it Steel? No, why is it Venom 2 I'm, I'm left kidding, to be carnage? If you think Steel can beat the bat nipples, I'm going to fight you. <laughs> you are the one who put steel in for I, your right end. I, I did. I I'm the I'm the one who put I'm the one who put bat nipples in as my right end pick. You know, I used my right end pick to move Aquaman because it was up against an impossible adversary, and then Daniel moved it again to another impossible adversary. I am so mad. <laughs> no, it's. So I think I, I think I moved your spot. I forget where you are exactly because I don't have the list in front of me. But uh, I can pull it up though. No, it's going to go against, I think, Doctor Strange. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Because I have a version where it's like all our picks are going in. Like initially, I think it was up against Black Panther. And uh, I was like, well, <laughs> I'm obviously even going to vote Black Panther over Aquaman. So it's like... I built a formula that has calculated these rankings. <laughs> and I, His I am giving... His formula is designed so DC can't win. It is not designed that way. DC hasn't won in like ten years, so like... <laughs> yeah. See, you say that, David, but the Dark Knight is one of the one seats. Yeah, and it's probably put in with the number two seat of Black Panther, and it's just like. Oh. Actually, the super number one cut is the Snyder cut of Justice League, so and that's gonna be fun for me. Oh god. That means we all have to get HBO Max. That's true, we do. <laughs> but we're we're hoping to start that here soon. Uh and we'll go into more of how it was determined. And I'm sure people will be like, I'm just a Marvel shill, but I'm sorry, they do better. Because <laughs> they are better. They they, they do better critically because they're better films. <laughs> so we'll hopefully be doing that here soon. Get a bunch of people on. Should be fun. Keep an eye on that Twitter feed on our twitter feed for more information on that uh subscribe to the podcast leave a review if you want that's greatly appreciated and uh until next time everyone stay safe stay healthy and uh see you nerds <laughs>